0: Show twenty one of Look at His But LT and JK Talk Trek. Yet another special Bascon edition, and apologies in advance for the sound, we only had one mic, it's a bitch. This show is officially street legal. Tw- what does that mean? It's twenty one.
1: It's twenty one <laughs> OK. Wow, it's very exciting. Well, so we can we can be openly um, Shatnerific now. <laughs> yes,
0: you. Uh, what did you say your title was?
1: I was the Shatnerican. You're
0: the Shatnerican. That's the librarian of all things Shatner, right? That's right, and you're the chief technical officer. Yeah, I think... Mention your superpower before we forget. I was just going to say that. We forgot to say in our last show when we were talking about trying to get our technologies to all work together that I employed my superpower and um, got the VCR, which was turning on but not playing a tape, to actually work merely by hovering around it. Isn't that something? It worked.
1: It was great. I think I'm so happy that that's so great. I'm still working on discovering my superpower. I don't seem to have one. (laughs) I'm like this, the anti superpower. I'm the totally incapable. She won't even let me carry groceries, folks. She's so afraid I'll drop the beer. (laughs) Well, you dropped the eggs this morning. I know. I couldn't practical. master simple just tongs. trying to be
0: practical. Um,
1: so we're still at Bascom.
0: We're still at Bascom. We've got so many things to talk about, but we just put ourselves through the excruciating experience of watching uh, a movie called Secrets of a Married Man. Starring. Starring. Who do you think it was starring?
1: Who was it starring? I think it, it was, was William Shatner. And some of the notable things in this of Bill's entire toupee collection. <laughs> oh... This was one of the absolute worst. I would have to say, it was giving the worst. its own performance. It was so disconnected from him. It,
0: it really was. It was large and brown, and it looked like it was sitting on top of his
1: head—not like on his head, but on top of his head. It was like, it was like your grandmother knitted you a cap out of upholstery, <laughs> and you had to wear it, or her feelings would be hurt. It's true.
0: It looked just like that. So, um, for those of you who have never seen this movie and never will, which should be all of you, really and truly. No, no, because there are things okay. in this you should see. Okay. So we'll tell you about the plot so you don't have to pay attention to the plot. Um, William Shatner is married to Michelle Phillips. Yes. And uh, they have three extremely obnoxious kids that one wants to die immediately. Horrible, horrible, children. And um, Michelle Phillips is too busy and not interested to have sex with them, so he goes out and starts sleeping with hookers. But they are also interrupted
1: by the kids a lot. Yeah. Let's not relieve them of their responsibility for the destruction of this marriage. That's true. I I agree.
0: Kids are responsible too. So he sleeps with hookers, and then he meets Sybil Shepard, who's a high-priced call girl, and he gives her a big boatload of money and then her pimp comes after him and stuff happens and there's almost a fight scene but not really which was really disappointing. And he's
1: really a patsy throughout yeah. the whole thing. But he, the movie opens with him making love to his wife mm-hmm. before the kids knock on the door and ruin the whole thing. And it's really sexy. It was good. It was and there's so good. chest hair in this movie.
0: There is chest hair.
1: And no underwear i mean there is a scene where he's wearing underwear and we see a little underwear in the doctor's office but every time he's got clothes on yeah he, there's, there's no, one, no underwear he, definitely not he, they had to go out and buy him underwear for that scene because he got to work that day and they're like bill yeah definitely an unfurnished basement yeah so. <laughs> did you ever hear that no
0: that's good <laughs> i got it from the simpsons or something i <laughs> like it, well, it's true and obvious, so we will spend some time screen capping so you can all yes. see this, butt shots and
1: crotch shots. But I want to tell my story about the last time I watched this. Oh, okay, tell Okay, them. I watched this, part of this. Um, not the whole thing, so I didn't know how it was going to end. Several years ago, with a couple of Trek friends, uh, Claudia and T. Jonesy, and Claudia had pretty much forced us to watch this, because she adored it. Mm-hmm. She thinks it's great. She loves <laughs> this movie, and we're, we're watching this, you know, going, uh, 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 and she she's going on, but look what a good acting job he's doing. Look at how good he is. Look at how committed. <laughs> and finally, T. Jonesy goes, yeah, He's playing a middle-aged Canadian guy with a bad toupee who's cheating on his wife. What a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you have to point out... I have many things to point out. Oh, okay. Which one were you thinking of? I was about? thinking about you were saying this was written by a
0: man. This was such a movie written by a man. In fact, it was written. this movie was made in 1984, just to be complete. Okay. Um, it was written by a guy named William Graham, who was born in 1933 and has... Um, well over a 100 writing credits, ranging oh. back from Naked City in 1958 to TV movies done in 2002. So he's a, he's a writer Anything well-known? I'm, I'm kind of flipping through it. Um, there's a lot of really horrible-sounding titles in here, <laughs> like Women of San Quentin, for example. Oh, my
1: God. I think I might have seen that. Uh,
0: Guyana Tragedy, The Story of Jim Jones, The Last Days of Frank and Jesse James... Calendar Girl Murders. That sounds nice, huh? Yeah. 21 Hours at Munich, beyond the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, he wrote Get Christy Love, the TV series. That's a good credit. (laughs) (laughs) He wrote a lot for Police Story. Mm -hmm. Um, He wrote uh, Name of the Game. Excuse me. Uh, Then came Bronson. He wrote for Batman and, and Big Valley. So he's just one of those journeyman writers who turns this kind of stuff out. But um, the reason you know it's written by a man is because when Shatner's character meets uh, Sybil Shepard's character, he goes to her little apartment and um, they're talking about the deal that they're going to make for this. And you know he's sort of implying that they're having an affair. And she says, you can see me whenever you want to see me and you can stop seeing me whenever you want. And there's no questions and no obligations. And... It's, it's all about what you want to do whenever you want to do it, and then you won't ever have to see me again if you don't want to. And I was thinking, wow, that's like a lot of men's version of a perfect woman. right?
1: <laughs> the perfect
2: relationship. The perfect
0: relationship. No I can, obligations. I can see you. I can fuck you whenever I want to.
1: You're going to be really, really good in bed. And then if I don't want to see you anymore, But you know what done. happened? William Graham's wife came in one night and read the script up to that point, beat the crap out of him, <laughs> and made him write the part where Sybil Shepherd reveals that she was lying and was just saying all that, and she was sick of listening to him talk about airplanes and shit.
0: Yeah, that's true. She says that to him at one point, Yeah, well, not in those words. Um, I have to say that this movie, um, which featured hookers in a supporting role,
1: had more hookers in it than a movie about hookers. <laughs> he was living in a town that apparently had three decent places, his house, his mother-in-law's house, yeah. and his work. But any time he went anywhere else... The Mean streets! The ratio of hookers to normal citizens was way out of
0: proportion. Way, way out of proportion. There, were,
1: there was pretty much a hooker for every drain in the sewer. It
0: was. So it was like they were living in Hookerville, and then that street that he drives down, in fact, when they were showing it, I thought maybe he was having a dream sequence, That's because right. there were hookers every three feet kind of stationed along, like, mm-hmm. you know, trees on the, the main avenue. And I was thinking that that avenue probably has some kind of fancy name like... Rue de Poussey or something. <laughs> which translates into Street of Hookers in French in case you didn't yes, know that. Yes, I caught on to that right away. <laughs> so that's where he was going to try to, to, to pick him up. Um, And the movie,
1: let us point out, was filmed in color, but yeah. it's not. It's it filmed in beige. Region. It's filmed in beige and we decided that was Beige Town. That was the name of his beige town. Mother in law Every- lived in East Beige Town.
0: <laughs> beige clothes, carpets, furniture, cars. cabinets, cars, everything. And your your clothes pretty much always had to match either the other person's yeah. or your hair. Yeah. Um there was also a cute little scene when uh, Shatner and his male co-worker are having a drink at a bar, <laughs> which wasn't quite Hooters because the waitresses were wearing like dancekin leotards. But they sort oh, of weird. the tops of them were sort of the Playboy Bunny. Yeah, thing. yeah. So that was a little bit weird. And then um, the other really odd thing, and so. This is supposed to be a very sexy movie, and there are some sexy parts in it because mm-hmm. it opens because with a wonderful shot of him screwing around with Sybil, Sh- uh, not, with Michelle Phillips in bed, and you know passionately making love as one would expect yes. Bill Shatner to do. And there are some other scenes of him kissing and, and getting it on, but um, there's a scene where Sybil Shepherd is wearing her little teddy, and she's kind of lounging on the ca- the couch. I couldn't tell if it was post sex or pre sex. I think that was a pre. It was like pre sex, so she's wearing this like beautiful silk teddy, but she had pantyhose on underneath it. Yeah. She's sitting
1: there barefoot with her pantyhose, pantyhose.
0: Toes. Ew. How sexy is that? Not bad. Not very not very, <laughs> not very. Mm-hmm. So you know, pantyhose under a teddy?
1: No. <laughs> I just didn't But so. well, okay, let's be fair. Wouldn't pantyhose over a teddy be so much worse? That would be so much worse. So okay.
0: I think the lesson here is when you're trying to be sexy, just ditch the pantyhose. That's right. There's
1: nothing sexy about it. Unless them.
0: somebody has like a pantyhose thing, then it's a whole different, Well, th- you know.
1: Yeah. But normally. Should we talk about those weird pantyhose I found? Oh, yeah. Okay, I heard this commercial for these pantyhose called Spanx. <laughs> S-P-A-N-X. Great. Great name. That's what I thought. I was like, Banks. Pantyhose built especially for spanking. Whatever can this be? <laughs> so I did go look it up, and it's it has nothing to do with spanking. It's just pantyhose that go from your waist to, like, mid-thigh. And so they're smoother, they're, like, slimmer, but they have no feet. That's so weird.
0: Yeah. I it, can't imagine how they won't just roll right up your legs and they'd end <laughs> up in <laughs> And, and up cut in, off the circulation <laughs> and your legs fall off. Yeah, exactly. Like, And wasn't the point of pantyhose to replace...
1: Stockings. Yeah, exactly. So, so those are the wrong half of the stockings. So these are like what? Pantyhose from the Bizarro universe? <laughs> <laughs> Panty No-Hose? That was the name that came in second after his face. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, uh, anyway, getting back to this movie. We've watched it so you don't have That's, to. It's true. It's a basic terrible basically what it comes down to. It's so
0: bad. It really is. Um, but fortune And it was long, too. I don't yeah. even know how many minutes it was. But, man, we were just sitting here going, movie, be over,
1: please. I can't believe <laughs> it. Let him get, get arrested or let the pimp blow oh. up his house. But please make it end. And it did. It finally ended. And, like you know, like like we said, there's going to be some great screen
0: caps here for you. Oh, and a good sound clip, which I'll hopefully get and play sometime really soon. Of Shatner saying something very funny. Oh yes, movie. yes, I forgot about that. That'll be really good too. Oh, so that was that was really bad. So now, pretty much, we never have to watch this again. Cross it off the list. Cross it off the list, um, and we'll just have the screen caps, and we're done with this. Cool. All right, let's take a musical wait, break. Wait, wait, oh, I want what, to tell what? people
1: what? that the wonderful things are coming up. Oh, God. We are, interview, we are going to be interviewing some great people. We're going to get some wonderful people on the podcast a little later. Yeah, and fiction. We have and fiction. And fiction.
0: And there's still like a whole pile of discs and tapes that we haven't even put in the machine yet. I know, yet.
1: I know. We're going to be doing, I don't know, I think several Bascon podcasts. I think so. It's going to be a marathon. Okay, are we ready for the music now? We are ready. Hit yeah. it. Let's do the music.
2: Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before
0: a commercial? no way, dude this is just to remind you email look at, his butt at gmail.com website lookathisbutt.blogspot.com we want to hear from you send us anything email, audio comments, pictures you send it to us and we'll talk about it this whole podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand.
2: This show is part of the Out of This World Entertainment on the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, TSFPN.com One two three four. da 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 da
1: da 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 Welcome back to the Circus of the Stars. We're
0: accompanied now by the fabulous Hampton Inn Musical Orchestra, who uh, just stepped in to do that little rendition of the famous vaudeville magic music.
1: Captain Uhura and her all-girl band. That's right. Special guest stars on the show today. One night only. So one of the things we love to do at the con is read something really bizarre, out loud, and... Have fun with it. And this would be it. And this would be it. And so we've chosen to share this with you, our loyal listening public. This is a spanking story. No surprise there. And this is the story. I'm only going to read a little bit of it, and then I'm going to turn the the reading over to Lena. Uh Um, This is the story of Of a man uh, named
0: Brady. No, it's not. (laughs) No,
1: it's not. Although, (laughs) I'm sure there's many spankings in that too. Of Kirk and Elon. What happened after he threatened to spank her and then the camera went off to the bridge? Well, right. we didn't follow that stupid camera. And I want to make it very clear. No one in this room or in the vicinity of this room wrote this story. No, this is, this is dregs. This is
0: what would technically be considered a dreg of a story because it's okay. just that bad. And so
1: we're just going to share a little bit of this with yeah. you. Yeah, okay. so you don't have to read it. sort of starting in the beginning of the middle. The beginning of the middle, that's good, yeah. Of all time. She was so desirable. All caps and multiple O's in that so. So just so you know where we are going. She was so desirable. Dot, dot, dot. Her black braids. Dot, dot, dot. Her prominent, beautiful, coppery face. Dot, dot, dot. Her coppery skin. Dot, dot, dot. Bare under the netting and leaf-like material that barely covered her breasts and nether regions. Dot, dot, dot. The slip of a G-string between her dark and lovely buttocks. Dot, dot, dot. He wanted her, dot, dot, dot. So badly, dot, dot, dot. And wanted so badly, punish her as she deserved, dot, dot, dot. But quietly, dot, dot, dot. Shh. Jim started punishing Elan by making her wait for her spanking. Instead, Jim took Elan in his arms and began kissing her once again, dot, dot, dot. Slowly, dot, dot, dot until she was as under his spell as she could be, dot, dot, dot. He sensed, somehow, that he knew exactly what she wanted, dot, dot, dot. And it was what he wanted, dot, dot, dot. Pulling back, Jim raised a finger to his lips. I'll punish you, dot, dot, dot. All you want, dot, dot, dot. But we must be quiet. Dot, dot, dot. No one can know. Dot, dot, dot. And it's easy to be heard from out in the corridor. Dot, dot, dot. Kirk quickly rifled through Uhura's dresser drawers and took out three pair of her nylons. Dot, dot, dot. And then, dot, dot, (laughs) dot. Jim learned one of Uhura's secrets. Dot, dot, dot. Under her nylons, there was a selection of vibrators and dildos. Jim selected two double-headed dongs, one two feet long with a man-sized girth, and a larger one between three and four feet long, three inches thick. He put them on the bed as Elan watched in curiosity. Now, I'm going to turn this over to Lena because she's going to, just uh, point out a couple things for us here. So,
0: um, as you can tell, this story was partly written in Morse code, hence all the dots, Yes. um, which just adds a whole other dimension to the story. Um, Just to summarize, because you never want to read this story. (laughs) Believe me, you (laughs) never want to read this story. It gets ugly. It gets ugly. It starts off as this cute little spanking story, and then it turns into a whole other exploration of anal sex. Um... And we just think that these are words that you should not use in an erotic story. So here's Or another. in
1: almost any written language. I don't want to see this in advertising. Um, I do not want to see it in murder mysteries. I don't want to see it in my prayer book. These words are straight out. They are. They're really out. And most of them
0: have to do with anal sex. I just have to give that context right. for it. So um, words and phrases you should never use outer hide of her backside.
1: But, points for rhyming. It's true. If you're Dr. uh, Seuss writing a spanking story, you can use outer hide of her backside. uh, And
0: there's some alliteration happening, too. Also, um, using words like backside and derriere and ass, and then using the word (laughs) hiney. There's a bit of a dissonance there. Uh, I just kind of feel it. Um, Also, it's really bad to have a character say eep. (laughs) Because then it's in Muppet territory, and there's Beaker, and he's going to explode. Well,
1: on the subject of Eep, though, we want to point out that in the story, Kirk gags Elan by stuffing pantyhose in her mouth, which just totally squicked us. But then, every time he spanks her, the author had to come up with a way for her to make a noise. And the noise is, in quotation marks, you put a number of exclamation points, depending on how big the noise is. And so that's an Eep. I guess.
0: It's, mm, I, mm, it kind of looks like a Unix command to me, but what do I know? Yeah,
1: you know <laughs> what? That's the Unix command, bang, bang. I know, it's bang, bang. It's
0: just... <laughs> so he spanks her and she goes, bang, bang! And then, bang, bang, bang! <laughs> and then when she's trying to ask him a question, it's an intero bang when you have the... <laughs> not the dreaded tarot bang. Bang. oh no okay uh, let's get back to this list because okay. i have some some other gems here so to speak um so yeah heine no good Bare bottom of the miscreant yes so somebody had their there's this thesaurus open at that point um also as a description of sex pushing her sphincter open really not <laughs> a very appealing thing
1: and the word sphincter yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> I don't care if you're pushing it open or closed or sealing it with super glue. No, I don't want it there. Suddenly you're in the proctologist's
0: office and you don't want to be there. Um, The rubbery penis plowed her pooper. (laughs) Can you see where we're going now? It gets worse. Um, Tailpipe. I can see where we're going. (laughs) We're going to her tailpipe. (laughs) Tailpipe is another one. Anal entry is another one. Poop shoot is another one. (laughs) Shit shaft! How about shit shaft? That's a good one. There's the always, always, always handy rectum. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I like to keep a rectum handle.
0: And then there was this one that I kind of missed through my first skim through here. Okay. and um, This was uh, describing what he was doing, which was extreme fudge packing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the pre-Christmas rush at Mrs. Is this what, is this what no, we're getting no, at? I think it's more like, you know, they have extreme sports. Like... <laughs> Extreme skiing
1: and extreme skating. So this is extreme fudge packing. Okay. Well, you know what? If you've got a two-foot dong and a three-foot dong, I, I think it that's qualifies. pretty
0: extreme. I, so extreme fudge packing. And then there was ass channel, as opposed to the tit channel, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Captain, I'm receiving something on the ass channel. <laughs> and then my favorite one that came right at the end of this story, um, again, you know, in the same area, shall we say, which was Elementary Heights. And I, I would say elementary depths might be more like it, but that was the phrase that they used. Okay. So those are words that we never want to see anywhere, ever. And to round this out, I think we need to um, have J.K. go back and read the last line of the story, because this was a really interesting way to to end a story, I thought. I think so. Yeah. So uh, let me just pass over the and reading. And in detail. case you
1: haven't already sent all your children from the room, um... Is this the window? No, no, I just had it go back there. No, you didn't. This one? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If, In case you haven't already sent your children out of the room, send them now. Because if this isn't ugly enough for you, it's getting there. This is a spanking, folks. I'm warning you, right up front, with multiple fatalities. Yeah. Okay? This is what can happen. Okay. Let me think. Okay, this is right after he his thick dick has filled up her elementary heights. heights. Dot, dot, dot. Oh my, here it is. Oh no, sorry, scratch, scratch, start that again. Okay. Oh my, here it comes. Were her last thoughts as her body exploded in an atomic fireball and she felt herself separate into her component molecules. Dot, dot, dot. That's so sad. That's an orgasm. <laughs> That's... The Doomsday Orgasm. And
0: then she got sucked into the ventilation and spewed out the Enterprise's poop chute.
1: (laughs) Something like that. But, you know, really, if she exploded like that, an an atomic atomic fireball, fireball, even in the 23rd century, the engines can't take that, Captain. Mm -mm. So I think she took out the Enterprise, the crew, the the ship that was shadowing them. Probably half the uh, the Alpha Quadrant, too. Yeah. Yeah, They're all dead. They're dead. From a Dolman Orgasm. Wow. Wow, and that's what you get for plunging elementary heights. It was Kirk's fault? Don't try this at home. Just can't keep off that tail. Nope, that tailpipe
0: <laughs> that that was great. Thanks for reading that. i I definitely appreciate it. Um let's have some fun music in between. some more of that nice music. Okay, and then we're gonna come back and have a little interview. okay. what you've all been waiting, <laughs> been waiting for. I've been waiting for I've been waiting for this forever. One of the reasons that we love to come to this particular con is because we get to see friends we haven't seen in a long time or people that we don't see very often. And one of the people that we've talked about on this show before. Many times. Many times. To the extent that she's pretty much an urban
1: legend in some areas.
0: In our world. In our world, anyway. Because,
1: you know, the, she's kind of like the urban tooth fairy of fan fiction because you never know when she's showing up. It's true. But when she does show up, it's pretty damn
0: special. It's at least a quarter. It's... At least. So, we'd like to introduce to our listening audience, Jonk. <Unter Jesse> <Bear> queen... okay, okay. Okay. So, um, we've been friends with Jonk for. As long as you and I have been friends. For, so, it's like 97 or 98? Yeah, 98, we all met
1: right around the same time. Yeah.
0: Um, Jonk has been active in fandom for a long time. And I, one of the reasons that. We love Jonk for so many reasons, but one of the reasons that she's so much fun to be with is because. Um, she has these stories that you kind of you're like you get involved with them and you can't believe that they really happened to anybody, but then after you hear it you go, Of course they happened to her.
1: Yes. So let's let Johnk at least say hello. We just keep talking and talking. Hello everybody. Oh.
0: <laughs> so so the question that that we were wanting to ask you because I don't think we've actually talked about this, just amongst us as as friends, is when did you get into the original Star Trek? Did you watch it when it was first on?
2: Yes I did.
0: Like you or your family? Like do you,
2: do you just remember me. The
1: circumstances, just you. Just
2: me. Yes, I think I was channel channel surfing, and uh, it was the organian organian mm-hmm. episode. Oh, the
1: medieval peasants.
2: Yes, the medieval peasants. I always love medieval peasants. And they were don't just you? In
1: tights, yeah, and then tights. It was the... Medieval was like peasants. What's not to like? Mm-hmm. It was a big Star Trek Renaissance fair. Oh yeah, with <laughs> so, explosions. Oh yeah, which yeah. would help.
2: Yeah. Yo, oh, awesome. So. I watched. I think the last fifteen minutes of that. Uh, wow, that was great. And then I didn't see it again for because I had no idea whether what this was. And I guess sometime later I came across another episode just by channel surfing again, and became a regular watcher of Star Trek. I wouldn't. Did they have fans back then? I don't know because I, fans fans. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, because I didn't talk to anybody, I wasn't involved I didn't get into the letter writing campaign. I didn't even know it was going on. That's how out of loop I was. Um so there you go. So it went off the air. We saw you know, After Spock's brain and that Adam and Eve for mm-hmm. that hippie episode. You know, it's yeah, like hippies. Oh man, I was damn hippies I you can yeah, it's time. So um then I didn't think of it until Um, many years later, and they came out with another movie. And I thought, oh yeah, I remember this. This is pretty cool. No, it wasn't. Um,
1: (laughs) And that pretty much sums up the whole TMP experience. (laughs) Thank you for that.
2: (laughs) So then, you know, fast forward a couple decades or something, and uh, I was, by then, I discovered computers. And along with at least two other people. Um, and, and that was the internet. And that was, and that the, was the internet. internet. People. I was, yeah. So, I have Oh, that's what possessed me to do this. I have a friend. I Believe it or not, I have a friend. Uh, she was in a Star Trek. She was in it? She Not in the show. She was just... Oh, in, okay. she was, She had, you know, every Star Trek figurine known to man. So I was trying to figure... Her birthday was coming up. What to get her. So I was surfing for Star Trek figurines or toys or something, Star Trek anything uh, trying to figure out okay, what can I, how do I know I'm not giving her duplicates of something she's already got. So somehow um, I came across a fan fiction site and there was T. Jonesy's 20 questions story.
1: And Just a few shows ago I was saying that was one of my very first as well.
2: Oh, so it's an entrance, entrance it's drug. It's an
1: entrance story. Mm-hmm.
2: So I read that. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to read no, This is just wrong. <laughs> uh, but I thought, you know, that was just a little story. I really liked that story. So, and I thought, well, no one would know if I read a longer <laughs> one. So then I read... Uh, Killa's story. S- uh, Surrender? Surrender, oh I think it God. was. Oh, my God.
1: We're, like, having
2: the yeah. same so, experience here. Um, so I thought, well, if that's what I could do for my friend, I could write her a story. And so I wrote Prelude in C-sharp <gasps> minor. Oh, that
1: was your first story? Yeah. Holy God. Oh, my God. People,
2: so this then, is... Bl- 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 like, Prelude in
1: C-sharp minor is... It's such an incredible story. It I is. really do think it's one of the classics of well, fanfic. thank you. Fit. But I also want to say, I never knew this story before of how you came into fandom. and Through the back Lena door. Was, as
2: Lena was saying, no, <laughs> you interested. tell these stories,
1: and then you realize, oh, my God, this could only happen to John. To me, that is so typically you, that <laughs> you found it while looking for a gift to give to someone else. Mm-hmm. Because... <laughs> One of the, the legendary things about being junk, one of the truths of junkism, is you're late for everything, but it's always because you have stopped to buy us or bake us something that can be only made with ingredients that you have to send to Jerusalem for. And so you show up six hours later with an exotic food. Yeah.
2: This time it was a DVD, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> See? But isn't that so wonderful. Your generous spirit well, drew you, you to Star Trek. Yeah.
2: Well, she hates me now, so there you oh, go. <laughs> and that's the moral of the story. She didn't deserve that story. But you got
0: a great story out of it. I did, did. It was yeah.
2: awesome. It was fun. Yeah. Oh no, I mean, the story of getting into the Star Trek fandom, yeah. that was fun. So
0: how did you hook up with, with the online stuff and ask them? And find that's about because it. That's
2: because where I found these stories. Uh-huh. Um, I have no idea how I connected those dots, but I think it must have been like the archive or something. Um, not sure, but somehow, um, anyway, so I had this story and, um, I'd stayed up night after night after night writing this thing. It was just start to finish, no edits, nothing. It just went, what you read is what's there. Um, but then she got mad at me over something else that has, it's completely unrelated. And I have no idea. So here I had this story. Well, why shouldn't I just, I, I should just put it in this little database thing that these other stories are in so that maybe somebody else will be, you know, write some more stories or something like that. Because these are fun to read and I don't have to tell anybody. And, well, then I started telling lots of people because these stories were so good.
0: Well, then it went and it won, like, every award that there was that
1: year. Yes.
2: That did, no, 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 no. Your stories.
1: What, what? My early stories did not win awards. Prelude won a lot of awards. It won mm. a lot many awards and, and deserve it. Rightly so.
0: It's such a well-written it story. It did. It didn't. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, the fact that we remember the early days of Ascombe as being a time when almost everything that was written was really good. Yeah,
2: I remember that too. Not only
0: from a plot point, but from a a writerly point of view that the stories were well-constructed, they had plots, they had good grammar, they had good spelling. I mean, almost to a person. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) They they were really good, and that was the special thing about it at a time. And clearly, I mean, that was your first story, and it was like a piece of professional fiction because it was so well-written. Thanks. And had beauty and poetry to it as Mm -hmm. well and
2: and expressed
1: so
0: many things.
1: Now, one of the other reasons we like having you on the show is we had a a listener write into us. It was on our blog, right? It was a blog comment saying, oh, it's great you love Kirk, and yes, he's sexy, but of course, everyone knows that the sex on that show is McCoy. Oh, yeah. That, you know, is one of the things that is not on our radar, but we know it's on yours. So, sort of as a, a favor to that listener of ours, do you want to talk a little bit about why McCoy is the character that has really spoken to you i mean he yeah. he's not the center of, of a lot of fiction but he's the, the center of much that you have done
2: well this is going to be disappointing i'm sure
1: i don't think so. but
2: okay so here i was i just read rid <laughs> let me start this again i had just read killer's story and t jonesy's story and i realized i was behind the eight ball on what star trek was all all about because so, you didn't
1: realize up the moment it was all about sex, right?
2: Right. Right. I was just, you know, oh, hey. So I went out, and I think I got every single movie. I didn't get the episodes, but I got all the movies. And uh, um, my husband, I think, it was going out on a camping trip. So I sat down from the moment he left till pretty much the moment he came back and watched these movies end to end. And I think I was totally insane by the end of it. No, no, no. I was insane before then, but differently. Um, So I thought about what I had read and everything was Kirk and Spock and da, 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 da. And I thought about how the characters were, were relating to each other. And I thought, you know, they've got Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And they're always, you know, whatever trouble they get into, it's always the three of them. And... McCoy and Spock, especially, they're, they're always at loggerheads. They're always, you know, fighting with each other, and they, they seem to be fascinated with each other. There's that fascinated word. <laughs> um, so I just decided to do something a little bit different, because, Killa, you know, you just can't beat that story. You know, she, <laughs> I didn't feel I could do justice to a Kirk and Spock story, so that's why I wrote a Spock-McCoy story. And I didn't think people would object to it much. A lot of people did, because they thought, oh, that's just really, uh." But, um, so there you go. Um, It's not specifically that I'm big on McCoy, except that by then, by the time I wrote that story, I felt I had more of an understanding of those two characters and their dynamics. And so that's what I wrote. Um, I wish I could say that I had, you know, like, Oh man, McCoy's butt! It just look at that! You know, just, oh yeah, but no, it was um, it was more how the characters had been written, their their in relationships and their how they interacted, and I just ran with what had already been done. So there you go, the the whole nine yards. Um, there's not much more to that story.
0: There's something about McCoy <clears throat> with his southern charm which they've allowed to shine through on some occasions, that mm-hmm. that really is very charming. Mm-hmm. And you can see how that would be, you know, make women just be a pushover for him when he chose to do that. But, of course, he couldn't do that most of the time because he was in his role as the medical officer on the ship as opposed to like the captain who gets to
1: have his sexuality all over the place for whatever means he wants to. Well, and that's kind of what made that Dax moment really nice in uh, Trials and mm-hmm. Tribulations that was great. When, oh, yeah. when she was talking about McCoy. And obviously, you know had had a very satisfying time mm-hmm. with him, sexual wise. Yeah. And and that's nice. And the other thing is, you were saying the focus is so much on Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. And even outside of the slash world and the fanfic world, when people talk about the chemistry of that show, they always talk about the chemistry of those two actors mm-hmm. balancing each other, playing each playing off each other. And they do neglect Kelly's contribution, you know, mm-hmm. in the scenes of the three of them. The dynamic that's there, the mm-hmm. timing, the playing, you can you can see the actors watching each other. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're always very present, so it's a very spontaneous response, and that was one of the nice things about Kelly. He could be light and playful like that, and when he had to get serious, he didn't drag it down, but he mm-hmm. had very interesting scenes with Spock where they were bickering without Kirk there. Right. And scenes where they were kind of serious together, like, um, you know, in the uh, Paradise Syndrome when Kirk wasn't there and they kind of had to right. deal with the situation alone. And many of his scenes with Kirk, where we got to see him in in the role, not just of somebody Kirk bounced ideas off of, but a counselor, Mm -hmm. and a Mm -hmm. friend that Kirk valued. And it was actually very nice in the final movie that it was Kirk and McCoy who Mm -hmm. were sent to Rua. I was
0: just thinking that. Right. Yeah. 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 It's also interesting that in in the first boring movie... Star Trek, a very boring motion picture, <laughs> very long, <laughs> very long before. motion picture. But but it's it's McCoy as the counselor when he comes mm-hmm. to Kirk's weirdly decorated apartment, and you know he's mm-hmm. the one who kind of is the the catalyst that gets him to start voicing all these things about him being unhappy and what he's doing and all the rest of it.
1: And mm-hmm. of course, who, who else would he tell but McCoy? And also mm-hmm. when when McCoy shows up in the boring movie and God damn it, why am I here? Somebody pulled me off, and I've got this awful beard and everything. Yeah. And and Kirk says, "I need you." Yeah. And he's very very open in that and. You know, it's it's just nice, and it's it's something I think I came to appreciate more, Jonk, mm. through your contributions. Oh, you know, because um, back in the days of asking that we were talking about, there was not only stories posted, but there was a lot of discussion, and yeah. some of it really silly, outrageous, wonderful, and some of it very serious about the characters and their interactions and who they were and how they grew and how they spoke to us. (laughs) And at that time, people listened to each other more than they shouted at each other. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us learned a lot about ourselves, about others, about Star Trek in those discussions. And a -hmm. a lot of those discussions sparked some outstanding
2: stories. They really did.
0: Now, one interesting thing that I think many of us did not bring, which I think you did more so, was that we hadn't really been around fandoms before. I mean, we've uh-huh. been a science fiction fan for a long time, and and
2: and you've seen yeah. many famous and people. I have, people. I have, but not not up until that point. Yeah.
0: So it felt like you were just approaching all of this particular aspect of Star Trek fandom from a, a different perspective, I think, than many of the people who were involved in it. Like, like for me, I mean, I'd not really ever been involved in a fandom before like this, me except neither. very peripherally, and then suddenly. There was this community of people that I liked and got along with and had fun discussions. and never really experienced anything like that. And and I, I always got the feeling that for you, this was one of many things that you had going on.
2: Well, um, at the time, um, I have no idea what I was doing at the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's probably what drew you to yeah. the fandom <laughs> <laughs> and to ask them to people like us. Yeah. <laughs> See,
2: the thing... There's one thing about that's good about having a bad memory is that you can never carry a grudge for very long. <laughs> um, but yes, I did spend some time in science fiction fandom um, in the early 80s. Um, no, was it? Yeah, the early 80s. Early to mid-80s. Um, and I was a working illustrator. Um, actually made most of my living off of that, I, I'm shocked to say. Um, and it was an interesting community because it, it's a very tight-knit community and a lot of interesting, interesting people. Um, what more can I say about that? It's the uh, community that I found with um, Ask'em. What, what's, what's that mean anymore? I forget. alt Anyway, yeah, it was like a big bunch of all dot dot dot, <laughs> dot 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 um and it was global like the like mm-hmm. like this what can i say all of a sudden you, you know you walk in you, you you talk to somebody at a table at a convention and all of a sudden you have friends all over the world it's amazing
1: but earlier than Askem, maybe I've got your history confused. Was it when you were working as an illustrator that you met Gene Roddenberry and Majel? Yes. And somehow it came into your possession that you have all these films yes. from a mock time with the strange sound. Yeah.
2: Okay, so this was this was I can't remember where it was, when it was, but it was a convention in Seattle that was badly run, like very, very badly run, and they they had got all these big stars. But then, well, for example, who's the guy that that plays Darth Vader in the movies?
1: Um, uh, James Earl Jones. Yeah,
2: they got him to come. And the guy that ran this the the convention suddenly discovered as a, as as James Earl Jones was driving from the, being driven from the airport. They got him a limo and everything. It was great. He discovered that he was terrified of James Earl Jones and spent the entire convention hiding in a McDonald's across the street. It was awesome. Oh, my God. So anyway, we were doing the I was running this auction because I usually got stuck running the art shows because nobody else, nobody else. uh, Well, you know, somebody says volunteer and everybody steps back and I'm the one left <laughs> you were like
0: looking at your watch yeah, <laughs> yeah. What? Like,
2: what? so oh, anyway oh, yeah, nuts so anyway so we were doing this auction a charity auction and uh rod and mary had apparently cleaned out his garage and brought all these films and they were star trek episodes um city on the edge of tomorrow Forever, forever sorry I'm such a bad fan. <laughs> um, we said that all. The time. Yeah. <laughs> no, we only have bad fans on
1: our show—the ones that are too 100% scare us.
2: So, <laughs> so let's see what what was uh, a couple other. Oh, a muck time. I've yes. got a muck time. And uh, so anyway, um, those did not get auctioned off. But can you believe? This? Can you believe it? Yeah, th- they wanted posters. <laughs> they wanted Star Wars posters. Somebody spent Little something like, artists. I know, somebody spent about five grand on a Star Wars poster. But they didn't buy these. So, everybody was just leaving at the end of this, this auction. And it's like, well, what? they were leaving the stuff that hadn't been bought. Oh. So, the, you know, I can't leave this stuff here. I've got to go find, you know, it's hard Mr. Roddenberry and give it back to him. It's so,
1: like nobody bought it, yeah. Yeah. That would to him. <laughs>
2: Well, what could I do? Anyway, so um, I couldn't find Mr. Roddenberry because the guy running the convention was hiding.
0: hiding.
2: in the McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> and so I could, you know, what? no, he's a big celebrity. We can't tell you where he's actually staying, even though you're <laughs> affiliated with this convention. And have all his
1: stuff. And have all
2: his stuff. So I was wandering around. We went to dinner, and there, to my total delight, was... Mabel Barrett, Gene Roddenberry, everybody else that was there at this convention. Oh, George Decay was also there. And so they were going to dinner at the spaghetti factory. <laughs> <laughs> and this classy. just gets better and better so and classy. better. So, not even thinking about it, I said, Mr. Roddenberry! And they turned around with looks of total fear on their faces. It's yeah. like
0: So let me just clarify for our listeners, it's not like you're a big person. No,
2: it's not you're just a bit
0: scary looking. Not at you're all. Small.
2: You're small. I a, like to think of that that's true, uh,
0: but you're a small, attractive woman, you know, very cute, very cute face.
2: That's what I that's what I keep telling people, but <laughs> they keep running away in fear. I don't get it. Anyway, so here we, here we are. Um I rush up to them and they look like, you know, they all plaster themselves against <laughs> the wall. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want an autograph. I, I have your films from the auction, and I want to get them back to you. And he says, keep them, keep them. <laughs> but I don't, I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, I was going to dinner there anyway, so I was, you know, having the whole dinner, they, would, they were like across the room, and every once in a while I'd look around for the waiter, and they'd be looking at me, like, you know, is she gonna come over and pasture <laughs> us again? Is she you know what is she doing here? <laughs> so I'm sorry I terrified Jean Roddenberry.
1: No, do not be sorry because I'm starting to think there is um a lucrative side to terrifying celebrities. Absolutely. I, I may t- I a <laughs> stalking, you know, because okay, you got to keep all that stuff with yeah, I I a lot now and it's a wonderful thing to have. And also you were with me in Sacramento when I, I had to pay for that. Wait, yeah, but here's, here's the lucrative part. It paid off for me, <laughs> not for you. So that's this my story now.
2: <laughs> no,
1: we were, we were gonna get, let's stop talking about you. It's <laughs> all about me. Let's talk about us, but it's really me. Um, we were going to get autographs. Yeah. And you had paid $100 for a ticket. To get a Shatner autograph and a Nimoy autograph. And I paid $50 a for a Shatner autograph. And they weren't well organized because it was the first day of the con. And we stood in line together. And they had the two tables set up with the two guys at them, like side by side almost, like 10 They feet were apart. They were really close. And so we went up, we got the Shatner autographs, and then I was just walking along beside you as you went over to Nimoy, and you started babbling at him about what had happened to us on the way. You to
2: told the car. me to do this. And we this. ran over
1: the ladder, and the poor man was so scared he <laughs> grabbed what I was holding—an autograph. <laughs> so I got a fifty-dollar autograph from Leonard Nimoy for free because you scared him. Yeah, uh, it's totally worth it. I'm Anytime I can the help next you out, yeah. I need like a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> Getting it from a celebrity, and
0: it, it's true. Um, can, I, I need to change the subject for just a moment because I wanted to tell you guys something and see if you knew this. So we had talked earlier about George Takei finally coming out and admitting he was gay. Yeah. Geez, thanks. It's about time.
2: Like, hello. New.
0: <laughs> but I recently found out or heard that um, David Gerald is gay. The Tribble guy. Yeah. it's true? Not true. Do we I have no I have idea. I Never heard this. Okay. I'm just
1: presenting. What? Well, as... Tribbles are so gay. Now that I think about it.
2: They're so gay. Well, all I know is that squirrel story that Take was telling. With, oh, with, yeah, that
1: was
0: hilarious. This yes. was at
2: that same Sacramento convention. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was pretty funny. The, the infamous squirrel story. That ran up his leg and. <laughs> no, yeah, it was uh, nuts. T- d- uh, Koenig's. Leg. Yeah, Walter Koenig was yes. saying it, yeah. Yeah. What yes. was the squirrel? He had a pet squirrel. Koenig had a pet squirrel. And he would Feed it, it nuts, and one
0: time it ran up his leg while he was trying to work. And
2: it meant on the outside uh, of the, but right. but
0: it didn't but. really sound that way.
2: And he before he could say anything, he turned beet red, okay. and George Takei started laughing and made yeah. some card, kind of kind of crack. But you but know, is
0: nuts. he said, "I like nuts too." Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Which yes. Actually, a very funny thing to
2: say, <laughs> <laughs> but it
1: was code. It was
0: definitely coded, and everybody cracked up, and I thought Walter was going to fall off the stage. Yes, he was beat red. He was. Yeah, Yeah. he absolutely was. Anyway, so I just had to say that.
2: And we did run over a ladder and a piece of string on the way to this convention. So it wasn't stuff I was making up, trust me, although Um, I wouldn't put it past myself. I'm going to
1: tell one more junk story because it's my favorite junk story of all time. When the three of us were talking to Gary Mitchell, who doesn't give a shit, who knows it, and he was in full blown blowhard fashion it mode, was brilliant. going on and on about. He was a Renaissance man, and he can do anything. And you just show it to him, and he knows how to do it. Wow, 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 wah. And John says to him, "Can you juggle?" And it actually shut him it up shut for all of him three cold. seconds. It was amazing. <laughs> I was stunned. You were you were on a roll that weekend. Uh. Can you juggle? Boy, I, I, I. Well, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can I can I just read this to you? Okay, so while we've been chatting, of course I'm like Googling things on the internet. David Gerald wrote a book about a, being a single father who adopts a son. Uh-huh. And the little blurb says, Ten years ago, SF and fantasy writer Gerald, a single gay man, saw a photo of a little kid bursting with life and fell in love. So wow. apparently he's been out and I didn't know this.
1: We didn't. It's amazing, and he adopted a little boy. Good for him. Well, you know what? We've definitely because we we are apparently out of the loop on some of these. We have to get my friend on to talk about Gator with us. Yeah,
0: I just had no idea. Wow. Well, anyhow, so now everybody knows. Yep.
1: So
2: the other except for us, no. Well, now now we, we, know, know, too, we know too. Yeah. It's time we're, to we're, know.
1: They're spreading yeah. the word. For, for no apparent reason, but it's a word. Yeah. Like, you like know, word.
0: You know what I find even funnier? That this book that he's written about being a single dad is published by Tor Books. <laughs> Tor Books, <laughs> infamous for publishing the worst, dreggy sort of sword and fantasy women with their, their tits falling out of their, their brass breastplates
1: kind of stuff. And they published this book by him. That's Well, too. that was their. their sort of you know their their series. (laughs) No, that was their serious book, the book they published expecting it not to sell, but Uh, it gives them some legitimacy in the market.
2: I'll tell you my tour (laughs) story (laughs) offline.
1: Okay. Oh, tour books,
0: that's great. Okay, um, let's take a little break and listen to some fun music. Okay. And then um, we are going to play an excerpt of junk reading from one of her most famous stories. A very, uh, very funny, funny story. Very funny story. I will put a link in the blog so that you can read the whole thing, because it's rather a long story, but it's well worth reading through to the end. You will like Because it just builds <laughs> and builds and builds, much like a classic screwball comedy, which yes. it is. Yes. All right, so uh, let's see. I'm not sure what kind of music we're going
1: to listen to, but it'll be fun. it'll be something. All right. Tina. So
0: now... As part of our fictional weekend... No, it really is a real weekend. It's just it's... about fiction. Um, is going to read part of this story she's written called Party Pooper. And to set it up just a little bit, this is a story in which um, Chekhov finds himself in a place where he shouldn't be through um, some interesting misunderstandings. And um, to, to keep it short, and you should all go and read this story because it's a wonderful story, he ends up in um, Ambassador Sarek's hotel room, <laughs> more or less, Um, And various things happen, and he tries to escape because there's been a terrible mix-up, and he needs to fix this situation really, really fast. So here's where we're going to pick
2: it up. Okay, he's just escaped the um, uh, situation with Ambassador Sarek. The lights in the hallway were painfully bright as he shut the door behind him and took several deep breaths. All right, this won't be that difficult. Just go to Commander Spock's room... "'Explain the bogus situation, get Amanda's room number, "'and convince her that there'd been a mix-up "'that she needed to go to a different room. Five minutes tops, and the problem would be solved, "'and he'd be snuggling down in a nice, clean bed. "'And Sulu would be walking into a difficult situation "'from which he'd have to find his own way out. "'He grinned. "'Serve the man right for grabbing his ass "'in a public venue like that. "'Whistling, he set off down the hall "'and knocked on Spock's door. "'Muffled voices on the other side of the door "'answered his knock, Then sudden silence. That's odd. He knocked again. Nothing. He put his ear to the door to listen, then knocked a third time. Coming! Spock's voice sounded oddly strangled. (laughs) Muffled voices again, and some strange thumps. A crash. Chekhov grinned, knowing the sound of a bedside table tangling in legs and sending a lamp hurtling to the floor. He stepped back, away from the door as footsteps approached. Spock opened the door a crack, not letting him see any further into the darkened room. Chekhov opened and shut his mouth a couple times in surprise. Spock's hair was mussed, his clothing was slightly disheveled, and his face was flushed. Chekhov wasn't sure he had the right person. Mr. Spock? Ensign Chekhov, I presume you have a purpose for disturbing my rest? Even discomfited, Spock attempted to put on a formidable show. Tonight, however, Chekhov wasn't buying "'Not with his anus still aching from the depredations of a Vulcan penis. <laughs> "'If you were resting, I'll eat my chair. "'Ah, uh, uh, mix-up. Your mother is supposed to be in my room.' "'Spock reared back and raised an eyebrow. "'What?' "'Come on, Pavel. You're tired, but pull it together, all right? "'You got out of worse scrapes in the academy. "'Piece of cake, that "'He straightened into an officer's stance. "'Begging your pardon, sir! "'Your father is asleep in the room I thought was mine!' Could you tell me, please, where your mother is? Spock's brows furrowed ominously. Ensign Chekhov, you are making no sense. Why would my father be sleeping in your room, and what has my mother got to do with this? Chekhov began to sweat. Just a miscommunication, sir. I wanted to let your mother know where the ambassador is. She may be in the room I was assigned to. Spock gazed at him even more intently. I seriously doubt that, Ensign. "'As representatives of Vulcan, my parents are two floors up in the royal suites. "'Now what is this about my father sleeping in your room?' "'Great.' "'Piece of cake,' you said. "'Looks like you left it out in the rain. "'So much for that recipe.' "'Chekhov stood there stupidly, looking up at Spock, casting about for an answer. "'His eyes settled on Spock's shirt and stuck there. "'Ensign?' "'Chekhov shook himself, aware that he was about to say something stupid but unable to help himself.' Mr. Spock, your shirt is on backwards. Spock stiffened inv- and involuntarily glanced down at himself, while in the darkened room behind him erupted the unmistakable laughter of Captain James T. Kirk. Chekov's jaw dropped as to his further astonishment, Spock turned several cha- shades of green. Ensign Chekhov, you have a genius for observing the obvious. I will remember that fact in the duty roster assignments next week. Is there anything else? His murderous look made it clear in the con- that the conversation had ended. No, sir. Good night, then. Chekhov found himself staring at a firmly closed door. He heard a muffled, "Ah, come on, Spock, don't be like that. What was I supposed to do? It was <laughs> funny!' And realized that Captain Kirk would probably not be in a good mood the following morning, which meant nothing good for a certain ensign. Resigned, he set off down the hall. Hmm. Captain Kirk and Commander Spock. The Tomcat and the data chip. I wouldn't have guessed that one in a million years. A couple more steps. Wonder if Mr. Spock takes after his father. He paused, trying to contemplate Mr. Spock whirling Kirk around with his big green dick up the captain's ass. No. No, 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 no. Don't go there. It's just too weird. He took a few more steps. Then a slow grin spread across his face as he contemplated what the information might be worth to someone who could help him get into the royal suites he broke into a trot the end. No, to, be not the end. to be continued to
0: be continued what a great story yes i i really love it um let's talk about it for just a second what what inspired you to write this story was this a challenge or did you just no. have this
2: idea no, I started writing. My hands get it run away from me and I have no idea what's going to come out the end of them. I, that's just what happened.
0: Was it inspired by anything? Like no. another story or a discussion? No,
2: it just they just they just do this.
1: <laughs> that's as good
2: an explanation yes. as I've ever heard. <laughs> it's not my Top fault. Pets, really? King. Yeah, really. <laughs> um no, I I have no no recollection other than than it just came out. That's the way most of my stories come out. They just I have no idea that they're there, and I start typing, and it's like, wow, I wonder what's going to happen next. I better type faster, and that's kind of how I write. And um, most of the time it works out okay. And sometimes, like when I have to write, like I've just joined Nano the National Write a Novel Month. It's not working at all. So there you go. I wish I could say more about this story. It's, yeah, there's just nothing there.
0: (laughs) Which one of the stories that you have written
2: is your favorite, your personal favorite? Oh, this one's right up there. Um, I like, oh, what the chair, I like the chair. I knew you were going to say that. I liked it. yeah, that was I had fun writing that one, why, so tell us why that's your favorite story? Well, let's see if I can remember more of it. It's madcap it's um more so than this one, and I just like goofy things. What can I say? I like that it, it um what one thing that you know i th- now i'm now I'm getting back in the groove here, okay, oftentimes I'll get inspired by a song. Or by poems. Uh, For example, I had been reading, when I wrote Prelude in C-sharp minor, I had been reading uh, Gentle Rain or something like that. Coleman Barks, translations of poems of Jalal al-Din Rumi. And so I took several of those quatrains and put them into the story. I mean, okay, stole them outright, but at least I credited him. They influenced what I was doing. In the story of The Chair, it's set in the prelude universe, and uh, I was influenced by a particular 1920s blues song, If I Can't Sell It, I'm Gonna Keep Sitting On It. And uh, I just love the the silliness and the raunchiness of that particular song. And uh, it seemed to fit well with uh, the characters of McCoy and such. I enjoyed how I was able to play with some of the characters I had created in that story and develop some some characters, uh, some of their um, background. Uh, It's just a little stage performance. The owner of the local bar has made some sort of wager, and uh, now they're trying to have a little music contest to save the bar, you know, get enough money or something to to keep the bar from being sold and turned into into a jack-in-the-box or something or a 23rd century equivalent. And so one of the local characters, a Vulcan, gets up on stage and sings this song. She manages to stay in character while still singing the song. She has a, a, uh, one of her hobbies is 20th century blues and 20th century music, folk music, because she likes music. And she does a smoking version of this, or at least as well as I could portray. And uh, the juxtaposition of this repressed, very cool, logical person belting out this very raunchy 20s blues song was a fun thing to play with. And so that's one of the reasons I like it. Prelude I still like because it, it was fun to write. And it got the whole ball ball started for me. Rolling... That's the word I'm looking for. You don't start balls, you roll them. Anyway, so yeah, I I enjoy the stories in which I get to explore the characters a little bit more. Not surprisingly, those are the stories written by other people that I tend to gravitate to. Party Pooper, of course, doesn't explore any character whatsoever. (laughs)
1: But it's just just fun. Yeah. And... You know, so many people will say that of fan fiction, that you can't criticize it or, or anything because it's just for fun. But there's just for fun, and there's just for fun, but really well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you could say the, the Marx Brothers movies are just for fun. Yes, but they are extremely well executed. And uh, like Party, Coop, Party Pooper, mm-hmm. um, there's another story that I feel is in the same vein, which is T. Jonesy Small Packages. mm
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's a hysterical story, and it's a farce, and it's long. And to sustain that level of energy and humor, which you do throughout this story, and which she does throughout that story, is extremely difficult mm-hmm. to do. Because there's pacing, there's rhythm, there's the jokes have to come out of the characters. And, and it's not enough to, to just be for fun. I mean, yeah, you can have fun writing it. Your friends can have fun reading it. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you can also shoot for quality. I, I was talking about
0: that with someone the other day because I think the attitude um, still, and, and maybe more so now because there are so many people who are in fandom and writing fan fiction who suck. I mean, they're just awful, and they don't know what good writing is because they don't read anything. But not just read any fan fiction no they, they don't, don't read, read they don't read anything. anything they don't read anything they don't read newspapers or magazines but I, I take issue with people who say things like well it's only fan fiction as if there was something inherent about fan fiction that didn't qualify it as a place to work on your writing or right. to hone your skills or to construct something that's Really good and valid and an example of good writing, somehow it seems like for some people that that concept of good writing and fan fiction there's no overlap between those two things if it's fan fiction it's not serious and it's not worthy of even spending your time trying to make it good mm-hmm. and I, I think that's really wrong, you know whether or not you want to use fan fiction as a springboard to other things, writing your serious original fiction or not there's still some you it's still writing it's still mm-hmm. making a story and there's nothing about it that, that says you don't have to bother. You can just make this crappy because it's only fan fiction.
1: And I think that that's part of the whole commercial issue is we're all very aware with our fan fiction. We cannot sell this. We could write the greatest story ever written, but if it's based on Paramount's characters, we cannot take that to a mm-hmm. publisher, get it published, get to the top of the New York Times bestseller list and make money on it. And so the attitude, I guess, is pressure. Well, I can't make money on it, so who cares if it's crap? Well, it's it's... It's your creative child. Yeah. It's your artistic endeavor. I can understand the people who say, I'm just knocking off for fun. Leave me alone. Okay, that's fine. But I, I think there there needs to be some awareness that there is a difference.
2: I had this conversation online with John Ordover. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our
1: favorite person. Um, Our favorite person. Who we should point, describe who John
0: is. Oh, was. so John Ordover is the guy who was the um, Star Trek book's representative of the powers that be. And he's basically been in charge of all of the published Trek pocket fiction pocketbooks for a long, long time. It must be... Now,
1: he, he got out of it a year or two ago. Right, but
0: before that, wasn't it like 15 years worth of stuff? It was a long very long time. very long time. So Ordover was the guy who would either choose you to write a book or not, and tell you what you could write or not, and they have still have a very long list of rules for what you can and cannot put into a professional Trek
2: book the kind that you find on the shelves at Borders or Barnes & Noble. So, yeah, so anyway, he was on the subject of opining. He was he was talking about how he believes that, that fanfic will never be any good, that it's all bad, it's all, you know, dregs. And he says, why would anyone waste their time writing fanfic when they could be spending their time writing something that, like, I could reject? I mean, buy. <laughs> um
1: Well, that argument then, why write any poetry? Yeah. Yeah. Who makes money at poetry? Yeah.
2: Well my point was why learn to play the piano for fun? You know, a lot of people they never get well they never get very good at the piano, or maybe they do, but they still play the piano for pleasure, not for money.
1: And you can play the piano and play it well
2: but maybe beautifully
1: well enough to be a concert pianist or maybe well enough but not have the the ambition of being a you know, of having that obligation. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Yes, I know people... You can still
1: enjoy it, you can still share that gift.
2: Yeah, I know people who are concert level, but they don't want anything to do with the concert circuit. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh,
2: They want it, they want, they they play for the love of it. And I think that's why, I can't speak for every writer of FanFit, but I know that's why I write. Because it's fun. And because I like it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you
0: pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one other thing that I have seen people say in fan fiction is that they they have an issue thinking of themselves as a writer. So when they write a piece of fan fiction, to them it's it's not that the the pic, sorry, that the piece itself is not worth spending time on. It's that I'm not a writer, therefore I don't know how to work on this and I can't do it and it's always going to be crap anyway, so why should I bother doing it? And my response to that is, well, you're writing you're a writer. Yes. (laughs) You know, nobody comes and gives you a card that says you're a writer now and it means you have to work on your writing. And I think people really do themselves a disservice by having some kind of invisible standard that says, well, I could never write. I could never be a writer. I mean, you're writing. You're putting words next to each other. You're a writer. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. work at it. Take pride in it. Write stuff that you can really be proud of that will make you happy and that you can look back on five years and go, wow, that was so cool. I wrote that.
1: And also the thing is, all three of us have, have, you know, written a number of stories, and I've worked on almost all of them with at least one beta reader, mm-hmm. somebody who reads it before I post it. And you get criticism, and sometimes it's hard to take. You have to rewrite things you thought were really good, but you know that the beta is probably right, that scene doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when you look back on your stories, when you've got some distance then, I always look at those and go, I am really glad I took that out. Now that I have that distance, now that I have Mm -hmm. another point of view. And so sometimes, yeah, to do it well is difficult and and sometimes almost painful. But when you are more satisfied with the result, you personally, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. It's like, you know, learning to sing, learning Mm -hmm. to play the piano, learning to do anything. Okay, Mm -hmm. if you're going to learn carpentry just to build chairs for your own house and table, well, you don't want them to collapse when people sit on them (laughs) just because it's at your house. You know, they should at least be sturdy enough to support a guest sitting on them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I seem to recall reading a story by one of my favorite artists or writers uh, by the name of Golden Boy. Um,
1: <laughs> Golden
2: Boy? <laughs> Golden Boy, I know. Uh, but you were saying that people don't take... Fan, that fanfic fiction isn't serious. And Golden Boy is, is an example of... Uh,
1: a fan fiction that should not be taken too seriously
0: <laughs> seriously <laughs> <laughs> so no, for people who don't know JK wrote a story called Golden Boy <laughs> and
1: it's, it's a very very slashy story it's very, very slashy watching.
0: it's 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 disturbing in some ways it's it's um extremely well written and caused a huge yeah. amount of controversy oh, when yeah. it was first put out there huge yeah like a big atom bomb pretty much
1: like a big atomic explosion that was and
0: you and dissolved that. into your molecular parts <laughs> but you know what that story kind of uh,
1: illustrates is the other extreme of people myself included taking fan fiction too seriously <laughs> that <laughs> we did <laughs> break out in war it's true over certain aspects of that story and and we all did kind of um you know um Stamp our little feet and and bite our little nails. And
2: oh, that was fun, though. For <laughs> <laughs> the spectators, like, Oh, <laughs> uh, but I've seen many stories in which uh, fairly serious human stories are ex- are explored and and um, touched upon in, in ways that. Uh, um, well, touched me.
1: And that's, many of the Star Trek episodes are, are that sure. way. And we get that way about some of the episodes. We go, it's so stupid, it's not worthy of Star Trek, they're not in character, blah, 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 blah. And is there, is it any wonder that we carry that over to our fan fiction experiences? Mm-hmm. That we want to see them in character. Mm-hmm. That that we we want to have it believable within that Star Trek universe.
2: So why can't other writers write like that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> why can't the English teach their children how to speak? <laughs> I think we've come to the end of another segment.
0: <laughs> I Living think. On, line <laughs> on that note, on that note, um, we need to go drink some more and then come back. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to find some more there fun music to play. You know, they're getting to hear all this music that I don't even know what it is yet because I haven't found it. But... I have some
1: great ideas. Okay.
0: That, that's great. So um, there we go. Thank you for reading because that great. was really wonderful. Thank you for being a guest. Oh, yeah. Sure, and, thanks. And we'll, we'll be thanks talking, for asking me. Yeah. We'll you'll, you'll hear more from Junk in a little bit.